You're listening to Dropping the Gloves with former NHL All-Star John Scott, a member of the Nation Network of Podcasts and delivered by DoorDash. Everybody, welcome back to Dropping the Gloves. It's not welcome back, I guess. Welcome to Dropping the Gloves. Thanks for joining us. Very exciting. Another great episode. We have a legitimate star in our midst today, Tim. Like a legit star. Wouldn't not you too say? often we have captains in, the, in our team okay. as well. <laughs> like a captain, a star, a Stanley Cup champion, multiple Stanley Cup champion. Just tagged on with my former team, the Arizona Coyotes. Andrew Ladd is here. Andrew. Thank you for joining us today. No problem, man. What's going on? Not much. It looks like you have a very fancy sweatshirt on. I just noticed that right now. Is that what what designer brand is that? Oh man, this is uh Saint Laurent. Of course it is. Are you a fashion guy? Like, why are you wearing a Saint Laurent sweatshirt? Uh, I'm wearing a sweatshirt right now. Wow, I don't know. I like the sweatshirt. Um, my wife bought it for me. Uh yeah, I don't know. That's like I, I'm really not like I, the one thing I do buy is like shoes, I guess, and then and then hoodies, like Saint Laurent hoodies. So, like a lot of like the really fashion stuff, like doesn't fit me very well. You know, we've got the hockey hockey body, and it's just hard to find things that fit. But for whatever reason, man, these these sweatshirts fit good, and I like them. So I see. What's your go to? Are you talking dress shoes? Are your thing, or is it just casual shoes? What is your prized possession? Jordans? No, I'm not a Jordans guy. I'm more like um, I got a couple pairs of like. St. Laurent shoes. I got some like, I guess, Louis Vuitton dress shoes, uh, a few things like that. Not bad. Tim, do you own yeah. uh, Yves St. Laurent? I don't. No, maybe next year. I don't right. either, but they uh, they got to be good, right? I, I assume they, they're good. If Andrew Ladd wears them, they got to yeah, be good. Yeah, I mean, my mom would probably shoot me if she heard that I, what I spent on this sweatshirt, but. It must be good because he's wearing it in Arizona where it is 110 degrees out. So right? it must be a nice comfy sweater. Well, yeah. I mean, the problem with Arizona is it's 110 on the outside, but it's like 68 inside wherever you go. So that's uh, you're trying to stay warm on the inside and then peeling oh, everything off and getting ripping outside. it off and putting it on faster than you know how that's yeah. good well thank yeah. you for joining us i don't want to bore the fans of our fashion because i don't own anything fashionable i really don't i like i'm wearing a shirt that's inside out right now i'm a piece of garbage so let's move on so you played your whl with calgary hitman let's start from the yeah. beginning where do you want to start earlier than that you you should probably start earlier that because um i didn't have like a really regular junior career um why do you say that andrew well i was i got cut twice so i i tried out for the vancouver giants when i was 16 i got cut I ended up playing junior b when i was 16 um and i tried out again when i was 17 i got cut again and then i ended up playing a tier two um junior a in, in coquitlam of the bchl and at that point i was really trying to figure out like where where I wanted to go, like whether I wanted to go a college route or um, give it another crack uh, with the WHL. And um, I had played, I played one game when I was 16 with the Vancouver Giants. So at that time, like that screwed your eligibility. So yeah. I had to red shirt, red shirt for one year. Um, and my rights got traded from Vancouver to 
um, Calgary, uh, halfway through my second, my, my, my 17 year old year when I was in in Coquitlam. Let's not jump too far ahead because I got, what did the coach say when you're 16 and what, what, what does he say to you when he sits you down on your cut? Did you expect to make the team at 16? Were you that much of a hot shot? Were you like, this is, I'm making this team. Like making a WHL team at 16 is quite the feat. Yeah, no, I mean, I was, I was, I guess I was a late bloomer. Um, you know, I kind of shot up when I was like 13, 14. Um, so it wasn't, I don't even remember what he said to me. It was just more like, Hey, like there, you know, that's it. We're, we didn't make the team kind of thing. And, um, it was like, okay, well, where can I play now? So at that time, um, it was a little different back then where like all the younger kids would go play junior B at younger age. So like, say like when Brent Seabrook was 15, he played, he played junior B. It wasn't like, we didn't have a great midget system at that time in, in, um, out West in Canada. So, um, that was just kind of the way you developed, like you kind of the next step up after Bantam, I guess at that time was you go play junior B. So, um, I, that was kind of it. I was like, okay, well, where do I go play? And um, ended up playing in uh, Poco, not far from my house. It worked out well. I could live at home and go to school at home and play play junior B. They're the rough and tumble junior B when you're 16. It's, was, uh, it was an experience. And then you go back in your 17 year. Were you expecting to make the team? You obviously played well in junior B. I'm guessing you're probably the captain. That's, that's all you do. You're the captain everywhere you go. But <laughs> did, did you expect to go in like and make that team? What was it? Was it a hit to not make it again? Yeah, the second. I mean, like you said, it's hard to make a WHL team at 16. So I think the second year that I went, especially after playing a game when I was 16, hit me a little harder. Um, I think I had an expectation to to be there and, and, you know, get a chance to, to play or at least crack the lineup. So, um, I was there probably for, I actually like moved in, got billets and wow. then they let me, let, let me go. Um, so, uh, yeah, that was, that, that kind of crushed me a little bit for short term. And then it was like, all right, like we're again, we're going to play, you know, like we're, we're the next best opportunity. And, and looking back, it's like, I think it was the best thing that ever happened to me. Right. I played load in junior B, you know, I was one of the better players on that team. And then I went to junior A again, like played, played a lot more. Um, you know, nowadays I think people get caught up in trying to be on the best team where, you know, if you're young, you're a 16 year old kid playing eight minutes a night and the WHL really is that, that the best thing for you. So I lucked out a little bit from that standpoint because I think my development, because I lose my earpiece, my development, um, definitely went a lot better for me because of the fact that I got to play more at the, at the lower levels. Was there any guys your age who obviously were excelling in, in Vancouver with the giants where you're like, gosh, like I, my, I, my pat, my time is done. I, I missed my chance. Yeah. I mean, they were, there's a lot, I mean, in terms of guys I even grew up with, right. So yeah. I mentioned Brent, Brent Seabrook, um, Shea Weber, uh, Colin Fraser at that time. Um, he was playing in, in red deer already. Um, those are three guys that, that kind of stood out. Troy Brower was playing in Moose Jaw, uh, I think when he was 17. So, um, you know, and oddly enough, I think four, four of those guys that we ended up playing together in Chicago um, yeah. in 2010, but yeah, there were a lot of those guys. So I think looking at those guys, I think and seeing where they were at, um, you tend to compare yourself and to the best players at your age. So, um, you know, I, at the time, I think I felt like I was behind a little bit, but uh, I also, again, I guess focused on where I was at and, and 
tried to have the best year I could where I was and, and make the best of that situation. So then you fast forward, you finish your 17th season in tier two. You obviously probably did fairly well because Calgary obviously was scouting you or else they would have never wanted to trade for your rights. What was like that? You're still a young kid. What was the news like getting the call from Vancouver saying, hey, heads up, we just traded you to Calgary. Pack your bags. You got to go. Yeah, so my 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 cousin actually played for the Calgary Hitman, who was one of my best friends growing up. Um, so I kind of got a little inside info from him that they were asking him about me. Um, and you know, was I don't even know if Vancouver called me. I think it was more Calgary just called yeah. me and said, "Hey, we just traded for your rights." Um, and that was about it, right? I mean, even if they hold your rights, I think at that time you're still unsure whether they want you. And and like I said, I was I was looking at different U S colleges and universities just to see if that was an option for me. Cause I wasn't sure I was, uh, I was a good student. So that would have been a, a path that I would have been, you know, totally okay with besides having to sit out a year. So I was, believe it or not, I was looking at Bemidji state university. So it was Bemidji state. Um, you know, should I redshirt there for a year? And they actually wanted me to play another year in, in junior a before, before that. But um, it was Bemidji state or, or give it another crack with, with uh, Calgary. So um, I decided to go with Calgary mostly because my cousin was there and I, I thought it would be fun to, to play with him. Did you have any aspirations of the NHL after getting, you know, kind of looked over in Vancouver and then kind of getting not and as an afterthought sent to Calgary, but what was your thoughts of going to the NHL? You're turning 18 soon and you're going there. Just what, what was your intentions? What was your dreams heading over to Calgary? Um, it's funny, man. I, we, I've had a lot of these conversations lately and it's, it's been centered around like what my focus was when I was younger. And, and a lot of it for me, like when I was younger, I, I would grow up watching junior B games and, you know, I'm sitting there, you're in the crowd, you see people coming to watch these older guys and you're like, man, it'd be cool to play. You could play junior B, you know, one year. Um, and then Vancouver got the giants and I went to a couple games, uh, there I saw the atmosphere around that and I'd be like, Oh man, that would be awesome. Um, you know, to, to be able to play the, in the WHL one day. And then really like the pinnacle for me, I think growing up was like the world junior team in Canada. Uh, like I always like every Christmas you'd be like, like that to me was more something that I would aspire to, to be a part of than even the NHL at that time. So I was really caught up in like whatever situation I was in and whatever was right in front of me. Um, that's probably the the best way to put it. But I, I didn't start thinking about the NHL until my 18 year old year in Calgary when, you know, they started to see like rankings and then all of a sudden, like my name was going up and up and up. And I was like, Oh, shit, you know, maybe I, I got a shot here. Yeah. I want to ask about that. Cause like, you know, fill in the gaps for the listeners a little bit, a kid who was cut twice, cut at 16, cut at 17, a couple of years later, he's drafted fourth overall in the NHL. Like what happened in those years? Man, I don't know. I, I mean, I think, there's probably a few things I grew, I grew into my body and I, I was never like a dynamic player. So I would say like a, a, as a player, I, I was at really high hockey IQ and, and I could put the puck in the net, but I, I didn't stand out in terms of like my skating ability and, and those different aspects. So I think the more I played, um, you know, the stronger I get, I was physical. I could get in people's faces and, and it was kind of, like I said, those two years where I did play, in junior B and junior A, I used to like gain confidence and, and, and start scoring and, and be um, more of a playmaker and and stuff like that. So I think those two years really gave me the opportunity to like um, just become a more well-rounded player in terms of offensively and, and, 
and playing it to to really dial all that in, I guess. And so you, what? Your, oh, go ahead, Tim. Sorry. Well, your first season in, for Calgary, your first full season, you had 119 penalty minutes. Were you fighting a lot back then? I fought a fair amount in junior. Um, I would say like seven, eight times a year. Um, and, and a lot of that came in just like, you know, I was, I was just scrapping to, to, to make a team. Right. So it was kind of like, I'll do anything and everything to, to stay here. Um, which the evolution of, you know, the way I played was, was super helpful because as, as my offense came and as, as the, you know, those different parts of my games progressed, I still had that like physical intense game that, you know, like junkyard dog kind of aspect to my game that, that really lent itself to getting in on the four check and creating some of the, the opportunity to, to have offense. So I'm not a math guy, but so if you fought seven, eight times a year, yep. fighting is five minutes, you got 167 penalty minutes. Where does the other 120 minutes come from, Andrew? I don't know, man. Probably slashing. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, man. That's my new t-shirt. Probably slashing. <laughs> That's too funny. Yeah. All right. So you get drafted fourth overall. You're obviously jacked up. You're a young kid. You're going into your professional career. They obviously want you to step into the lineup. Carolina, can you talk about that team? You obviously stepped into a situation where they were just, you hit it right at the perfect time. They have all these veterans, Brenda Moore, Recky, Stillman, uh, Ian Cole, Justin Williams. He's young. He's up and coming. What was it like jumping into that room and just seeing all these like superstars and just going on the ride that you guys went on? Yeah, it was, it was, I, w- I was super lucky. Um, you know, started the year, I played 25 games in the minors, I think, to start that year. Yep. Um, but we had a really veteran team, like you said. Um, most of the guys were mid-30s to late-30s, um, some early. And then really, like, the three young guys were me, uh, Eric Stahl, and Cam Ward. Um, so I just came into it, it was, like, eyes wide open, like, little, you know, didn't say a whole lot, just kind of watched and, and, and learned. But, like, just the way – that group handled themselves um, preparation wise, uh, how they showed up in practice every day, how, how they showed up in games, no matter what, right. Like you, you learn at a young age, like, Hey, you go out and have a couple beers or have fun as a group. It was awesome. But the next day you show up and, and you, you, uh, you hit it hard and make sure that day isn't, isn't wasted. So I think I learned um, a lot from, from that standpoint. And, and, and as the season progressed, just like their hunger to win was so evident. And I think there, there was none of those guys had, had ever um, won bes- before besides, I think Mark Recchi came in late in the year. He was the one guy, but um, everyone else was so hungry like that late in their career to get it done and to, to win a championship. It was just so evident um, every day, like I said, in, in practice. And I always say um, probably the, the, the fastest pace practices I've ever been a part of was, was that group. And it just translated so well into the way we played. Who drove that? Was it Brendamore who kind of took the reins there? Was it Doug Waite? Which veteran was like the guy who kind of just said, follow me, fellas, here we go. It was Roddy for sure. Yeah. Um, yeah. In every aspect of, of how you show, like every day you'd show up and he'd be in the gym doing the full workout. And I, I always remember like showing up before, the season and we would bag skate for bag skate for 40 minutes and then scrimmage for 20 to 30 minutes after that. So it was like, Hey, we get our work done and then we get to have fun. Um, you know what I mean? Like then you get to scrimmage, but like the first 
first 30, 40 minutes was literally no pucks, just skating up and down the ice. Um, and that was, that was just what we did. Uh, and so like culturally, like he set the tone day in and day out. And I think it's even evident in, in the way that team plays right now. And that's, uh, that's just the impact he ha- he's able to have on a, on a group. Was it, you con you contrast your first year when, when you jumped into a team that had, like you said, all these veterans, Corey Stillman, Rod Brindamore, Eric Cole, not Ian Cole. So I'm just going on the list of all these guys, yeah. Ray Whitney, Matt Cullen, Caberlet, Brett Hedick, and Aaron Warren, Kevin Adams, Craig Adams, Doug Waite. Is it strange to see a team like that be so successful? All those guys at such an advanced age, as you look at it now, and you you're getting to a team now with Arizona where you're going in at 35. I probably the next oldest guy is probably 21. Is it strange to see where the game has gone from when you entered the league? A successful team is like 30 plus, and now all the successful teams. I don't know. I just think it's weird how the hockey has changed so much in such a short period of time where now we value age, whereas back then it was more experience valued. Yeah. I mean, I've definitely seen that, that transition, um, for sure. I think it's part of it is the evolution of, of you as a player. And at some point you transition from, um, you know, the guy in the prime of his career and then you're fighting to, to stick around and, and to pass along a lot of the lessons you've, you've learned along the way. It's kind of your turn to, to pay it forward. Um, if you want to put it that way, but, um, yeah, I, I, I'd, we've definitely seen it. Me and actually Duncan Keith would talk about it all the time. Cause it was just like, it was evident the speed, had changed um, probably probably like 2013 ish where the speed would just change. Yeah. The game got faster and, and it, it really um, geared towards just speed. And are you can even evident in the minors when I played in the minors a little bit the last couple, couple of years and like the speed is NHL speed down there. It's just like the thought process and how guys think the game and move the puck um, isn't as quick. Um, but the, the physical tools, like, you know, watch kids from an early age now, you know, you'll, I watch my eight year old and it's like, some of those kids are unbelievable skaters at eight years old and they're on the ice five, six days a week. Um, so trying to take that physical tool and explain to like younger guys that the, really, I think the true value of like our generation of players, which was more like the hockey sense and how to play in between players and um, the detailed intricacies of, of, of successful teams uh, is something that I guess I, I would say, like I enjoy passing along to, to younger guys at this point, because I know it made a huge impact on, on my career. So you mentioned another name, Eric Stahl. He was 21 years old on this team. You're 20 and he put up a hundred points that year. I mean, what do you remember about watching him do what he was doing every night? Uh, it was impressive, man. It was the, this was the first year after lockout and, and um, anybody who played that year, the first year after lockout, the refs were like super anxious to call anything and everything. So you would have eight, 10 power plays a, a game almost like you, it was an absurd amount of maybe I'm overshooting a little bit, but you were on the power play constantly. Um, or a penalty kill, regard, depending on who you were. And I think at that time, we had a team that played really fast, so that that fed into um, Jimmy Rutherford did a great job of, of putting together a team that could play that way, and, and we ended up on the power play a lot. And Installer was, was fantastic um, in terms of just 
his speed and his ability, his reach and, and, and his determination all kind of molded into one thing of being able to, to put it together that year and, and have such an impact, not only five on five, but he was, he was great on the power play too. So um, a lot of, a lot of offense that year. And, and we had a great group that um, had a good mix of skill and, and hunger to get the puck that he was kind of leading the charge in, in that regard. And obviously you guys won the cup that year against Edmonton at you 20 years old. Like, what do you remember about that run? And, and did you realize like how special it was to win it when somebody of those guys on the team, like an older team, they were winning it for the first time. Here you are at 20 years old, just being part of it. Yeah. I mean, I, I looking back, like, no, I didn't appreciate where I was, you know, it's not the way I, I would now, or even the second time that I won in, in Chicago. Um, you know, I was a young kid that definitely was like, had no clue how hard it was to get there and and the opportunity that was lied ahead and you know not to not to say that they didn't you know every at every turn one of those guys would tell me that hey this this doesn't come around very often but I think if you look back at at um to me like the best cup cup handoff in in history is is Rod Brindamore and like the the emotion that he shows grabbing that cup um really stuck with me for whatever reason like that that was his lifelong dream that came true and it just meant so much to him and to a lot of guys in that group and and you know it was it was a fun group to be a part of because they were so inclusive and and tight-knit um through and through even from you know all the way down to the the 20 19 year olds and 20 year olds um we just really stuck together as as a group so um, I think that's what kind of stuck with me after the fact. Um, but no, to answer your question, I, I was had no clue what what I was getting myself into, and 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 that how hard it is to to get there. So you had Stall, you had Ward. Was it just you thought you were going to win it again year after year after year? What what was the like the thought process going into the next year? Oh man, it was that next year w- was was tough, and I I struggled the next year. Um, going from the high level, high pace of, of a Stanley cup final to like training camp two months later at at that age, I didn't, I didn't handle that well. Um, not to say that I didn't work hard leading up to that. I just like mentally needed to, I, I needed to be hungrier at that time. Um, so, and, and I was, I was one of the younger guys. So I, I, I struggled probably you know, most of that year, just trying to find a role consistently to, to be a part of that group. Um, which, you know, leads to, that doesn't lead to bad things because I think you're, you're trying to find your niche and and how you can be impactful on a, on a day-to-day basis, which is important for, for young players. Um, but it was hard to go from that high to like, okay, now we're playing preseason games and, and there's definitely a, a mental, a mental part of that, that you have to, get better at, which is, I think it's impressive with the teams that have done, gone back, back to back and won a bunch of cups in a short amount of time is, is having that level uh, of play year in, year out, um, no matter, uh, no matter how short their off season was. So you spent a couple more years in Carolina and then you get Delta Chicago. Was there any writing on the wall? Did you have any indication the GM say, Hey, Andrew, we're shopping you. How does that trade go down? I'm always fascinated when guys get traded when they're young. You know, the, yeah, they, man, they, invested, was, yeah. they invested a high draft pick in you. They obviously believed in you. What was that like? Did, like what happened? Um, I was blindsided. Um, 
Yeah, I, I, I was sitting eating my pregame meal in Carolina and, um, you know, trade deadline day. So it's on the TV and, and, um, Brian Tatum, who was the, uh, team service, um, guy there in Carolina came up and tapped me on the shoulder and said, Hey, um, Lavi wants to see us. So Peter Laviolette wanted to talk to me. Um, and I was like, yeah, my, my heart sunk into my stomach and I was like, oh man. Okay. So walked over, talked to Lavi and it was, it was an interesting conversation because I don't, I think he did, he knew it hadn't completely gone through and it was like, Hey, like, I think you just got traded. You just have to wait here and, and Jimmy will, will come down and, and talk to you. Um, and I was like, okay. And then like my phone blew up. So then my agent was like, Hey, like, I think you just got traded to Chicago. Um, and I was like, okay. Uh, and then talked to Lavi and he's like, I'm like, I just got traded to Chicago. He's like, yep, yeah, we just got traded to Chicago. Um, they'll be, they're going to reach out and, and you'll go from there. But and then just kind of thanks for everything. And that was it, man. Straight to the Thank airport. You. Yeah. As I was, as I was leaving to Rutu was, I think Ron Francis was there picking up uh, Tuomo from, from the gate so they could drive him to the game. So I was like just sitting there watching them grab the, the next player coming in and I was off to Chicago. Did you cry? Just be honest. No, I, I didn't actually. I, okay. I was, I was, uh, I was shocked. I was definitely emotional about it. Yeah. For sure. Um, that first time it was, we had a, a young kid traded here the other day. So it was, interesting having that perspective i was like the first time it like hits you you're like you know you don't really know what to, to think of it um and then you know a new opportunity comes your way so i was i was lucky i think from the standpoint that i knew a lot of guys in chicago you know and brent seabrook was there like i said i knew him from when i was young um so moved right in with him and, and kind of made that transition a lot easier and and they, they had such a young group that it was, it was uh, easy to transition into that dressing room with a lot of guys that a lot of Western league guys actually that I'd played with um, over the course of my junior career and, and had a lot of relationships there. So it was good. Yeah. I was just looking at the ages. You go from a team that's average age is 34, 35, and you step right into a 20 something locker room with all this young talent, Kaner, Sharpie, Johnny, all these guys buff. Did you know, going to Chicago, obviously you guys didn't make the playoffs that first year. You made it your second year. You had a good run. Did you know what you were getting into when you went to Chicago? You saw the potential? No, I, I didn't know. I mean, I, I think everyone knew they had, um, you know, Kane and Taves. Uh, and I think it's easy to like, look at all the other players that, that were there at that time and be like, well, they had like Sharp and, and Versteeg and Buff and, and um, Seabrook and Keith. Um, but no one was really talking about anyone else besides Johnny and Kaner at that time. Um, they were kind of the wonder boys and, and it really was kind of the perfect storm because they had just put games back on TV in Chicago. Um, they had started to really promote the team again. And, and, and those two guys in particular. Um, and, but I wasn't really aware of like the legwork that, you know, Dale had done in terms of the drafting yeah. Um, of, of all those quality players and, and the time they put into the minors that, that really led to, you know, that success they had for, for that five-year span. And then speaking of five-year span, you're the one who kicked it off. You win two Stanley Cups in your first five years. What was that? Was it different the second time around? Was it more special? 
I, I enjoy, I took time to enjoy it. Yeah. The second time around. Um, so it was funny. Like, I think like the first time you're caught up and like, okay, like I want to grab that cop and throw it over my head. And, and, um, there's that moment. The second, the second time it was more about watching other people, watching them enjoy it, watching like them a, see, like a creep. <laughs> right. Yeah, pretty much, man. But it was like, I, I enjoyed watching other people celebrate that for the first time. And I spent more time after the game and in the room and like soaked that aspect up. Um, that was one of the things I learned from the first time was like the moment with just the group after winning a Stanley cup. And like the, the, you know, you probably only get like half hour in the dress room together, but like though that moment of like, Hey, like we did this, you know, there's a lot of memories and along that journey to be able to like reminisce and like actually enjoy that cup together um, for those moments is something kind of, you look back on, you're like, okay, that, that was, that was a special memory that, that, uh, you know, I'll never forget. So because you were one of the few guys in that roster that won a cup before, like, did they ask you for insight and guidance Did Taze ever pull you aside and like ask for your opinion on stuff or is it kind of just naturally happened? It kind of naturally happened. I think just from a standpoint of like the chaos, sorry, I'm going to cough here. The chaos of, of winning a cup and, you know, logistically trying to have a space where like, it's there but like you can so you can enjoy it when you want but you can get away and like actually spend time with your buddies and and family and stuff too um was was probably where i i lent the most advice but i mean it it was such a different different win you know i went from carolina which was non-traditional hockey hockey market we had two parades you know one like around the rink and then the other one downtown to chicago which was you know basically craving this for for such a long time and kind of undercover had a huge hockey hockey fan base that came out of the woodworks and like everybody could celebrate together right so we as a a young team like we took the cup everywhere so we just bar hopped for like three straight days the pony the pony like we would i remember this because we're we would go in and rush and all of a sudden like a bar with like 20 people wouldn't would just be packed. So, and then like, I, I remember like walking out of one a bar, I can't remember what it was, but I was holding the cup over my head, but there were so many people in there. You couldn't see that I had the cup. Huh. So I got outside and the guy, the, the keeper of the cup was like losing it. He's like, Hey man, like you cannot crowd, like let the cup crowd surf. And I was like, no, like I had it the whole time. You just couldn't see me. <laughs> Don't worry. I wasn't let that thing go. So, That's so um, cool. Yeah. So it was a blast and, and it just fit in with like the age group of, of where we were at. We had guys that were 20 and 25 and it was just like, you know, everybody was going out and, and enjoying the, the celebration through, through the whole time. So we're on was, top of the world, you just won the Stanley cup in Chicago, all the sports teams there were garbage <clears> expect, except for you guys, you ruled the city. You're going to win multiple cups. You're Andrew lad. You're young. You got a ton of money and then you get traded right. to Atlanta again were you blindsided was it the worst day of your life when Stan gives you a phone call i wasn't blindsided on that one um they he he kind of they had a conversation with him it was basically like hey like we'd love to keep you around um but i'm gonna go grab water if it's okay because i'm gonna pause it yeah go get it 
<laughs> All right. So you're saying you didn't get blindsided by the trade. No. So I, I, um, I talked to Stan at the time and he said, Hey, like, we'd love to keep you. Um, but with the cap, yeah. um, it was actually, I think Johnny got a, like a two and a half million dollar bonus for winning the con Smythe. So that put us over. We couldn't, we had to trade a bunch of guys. So they were like, Hey, like, we'd love to keep you. Would you stay at this basically salary? So I had to make a decision at that time to be like, do I want to stay or do I want to go and, and try to prove that I can be more than the third line checker? So I, I, um, appreciated the fact that you no, know, they wanted to keep me, but I also thought it was, you know, time for me to, to try to play a top six role. Um, so that's kind of how it worked out. So I knew it was coming. It was just, it was a weird feeling of terms of like, okay, you know, it's coming. Like you're just kind of waiting to see where, and then, uh, ended up being Atlanta. So you left, um, eager left, Bufflin left. Did you know that I went to Chicago the next year and I was sitting in the office with Stan and Joel and they said, you know, we just lost big buff and we feel like, you know, maybe you can replace his spot in the lineup. Yeah. What, what would you have said to me if they were John, do you think I could replace big buff with the Blackhawks? Like I, I thought they were out of their mind. Isn't that stupid? You play D two, right? D4. I played both. D four, yeah. not as effective, but still. Yeah, that's that's I why mean, I knew Chicago was there. Mm-hmm. We were in for a downfall when they said that. I mean, it's it's hard to replace that man, right? He's uh, to me like one of the most unique NHL players of all time. He's he was uh, one of a kind. So it's I, yeah, you you had some tough shoes to fill there, man. I don't, I don't know. It was an uphill battle for you. Is he one of the most? Um, force i don't know other word to put it put it i've skated with buff in the summer we skated for years in minnesota he just is a physical force is there any other player who impacts the game more than he does i don't i don't think anyone has had that like physical the cross between the physical i mean i yeah i could should say that there's there's certain guys in other generations um you know you look at a guy like eric lindros i'm sure he had that ability to to impact the game physically and Scott Stevens and guys like that. But like the mix of skill, the ability to play defense and, um, you know, be a top six guy. He's just so, he was so versatile that it was hard to find someone that had the ability to, to do what he did and still have the impact on the game at forward um, as he did on, on defense. So I don't, I don't think so. Um, I'm a little biased because I played with them for, you know, eight years, but um, he, he, to me, like when we won the cup in 2010, he, he, that's where he found out how strong he was. Yeah. Because before that he was, he was a little more timid. He wasn't as, as um, he doesn't, didn't enforce his will on people as much as he did beyond that point. So like when that happened and I, I always remember like him bearing, Chris Pronger in the corner, right? I think everybody remembers that. Yeah. So you know, he's just a huge man, and that, I mean, that's probably like the, when people look back, that's <clears throat> one of the first big hits you saw Buff throw. And then you know, after that, it was like, oh, like he he figured out how big and strong he was, and had, that he could impact the game in, in that way, and, and that just gave him the confidence to kind of do that going forward at such a such a higher rate. So you go to Atlanta, you go, you go him, Buff, you got Eags, 
do you go to Atlanta and like try to transition that team? Because they had a good team. You know, you had Enstrom, Little, Vander Kane was there, Nick Antropov, you had Stewie. Do you yeah. go there and say, listen, boys, we just won the cup. Does everybody rally around you? What was the, because it's Atlanta, you know, I think the writing's on the wall there. Everyone's like, we're, we're not long for this city. We're going to leave soon. What was it yeah. like that whole season compared, like, cause you're coming from Chicago, top of the NHL, Chicago, Windy City, baby. And you're in Atlanta where half the city doesn't even know you have a hockey team. Yeah. I mean, to, to me, it's like, you look at, there's different aspects, right? Like there's, there's advantages to playing in a non-traditional hockey market. Like we did in Carolina, right? We, we had that opportunity there where, you know, it's, people can thrive in, in both places. We actually had a pretty good start there. I, I think going into it, it was more like you're just riding high off of experience you had in Chicago when you're trying to emulate a lot of those things, right? What do we do? How do we practice? How do we show up to work every day? A little bit of, of the swagger that we, we had there and, and, and then trying to create an atmosphere for that group to have success. So, it was different for all of us. And I think there's, there's, there's a learning curve in terms of taking on different roles from, from the guys that came in from Chicago and they had a certain way that they were able to do their work in Chicago. And now you're in a new situation and some guys are comfortable with that. Some guys aren't, and it takes a little bit of a time to, to adjust. So for me, I, I, you know, having one, two at that point, I, I think I was ready to, take on more of the leadership role. And, and um, I knew that part of that was just being me working the way I worked and, and showing up every day and, and competing. It was a big part of, of how I led. Um, so but I just kind of came in and, and tried to try to do that. So it didn't work out in Atlanta. You guys, <laughs> the team folded, you got moved to Winnipeg. And I think this is fascinating because I played against Winnipeg quite a bit when I was in Chicago. I played against them quite a bit throughout the seasons. You guys had a fantastic team. Every season, I was like, this team's going to win the cup. You guys had a stud defense. Your forwards were off the charts. You had you Wheels, Little, Shifley. Why didn't you guys win the cup? And I know it's a difficult question. I know it's like not easy to answer that. There's no one answer to say, oh, that's why we didn't win the cup. What happened? Like, Yeah, congrats. so I mean – they, I feel like their, their window was probably after I left. Um, we did, we did a lot, like we didn't have the deepest teams, I guess the first five years, but they, they were building towards yeah. that moment. So I mean, Shife, Shife was only a year in when I, uh, when I got there. So I played a year with Shifes mm-hmm. and then they drafted Ehlers and then line a. And so a lot of it from when we got there, was just trying to set the, set the stage for culturally how, how they do work there. Um, so it, it was, it was a fun experience for me, like to go into a Canadian market, but I, I, you know, I think we were, they were, they knew they had to build through the draft. They had to develop players. Uh, so we knew kind of going in that it was going to take a little while before they committed to, to that window and then trying to, to win, which basically the year after, I guess the year I left is when they, they drafted line a um, yeah. second overall. And then they, they, they're kind of their window opened up after, after that. So you don't want to trash anybody. That's what I'm getting at. Who, what's the reason? Why aren't they winning? Is, is it, is it Hellebuck? Is it, you don't want to throw any dirt, Andrew, come on. No, man, they, they had, um, I mean, 
I don't know. The thing about winning, right, is a lot of things got to go their way. So they were they were in the top four. Those they had those two good runs where they had a chance. Sometimes you run into a hot goaltender. Sometimes you run into a hot team. Um, you know, even you look back at the ones that we won. There's there's moments in time where like you know in Chicago we were down game five. We were down uh, by one with you know, a minute and a half left and we had Marion Hosa ended up in the penalty box. We Patrick Kane scored shorthanded to tie yeah. the game. We won in overtime. So you look at those moments, you're like, okay, like what if that, like that could have easily gone the other way and you're down, you're down three, two going home. Like, does that series end up the same way? Like in Carolina, we were down two nothing in the first round to Montreal going to Montreal. And we were able to battle back and win that series. Yeah. So like different moments like that um, can shift either way. Um, so to, to me, they, they were, they were right there. And then obviously you lose, you lost buff Jacob Truba and Tyler Myers, probably the best right side and he in hockey in one, one off season. That's uh, that's a pretty big hit. It's hard to replace that. So let's fast forward again. You're bouncing around the NHL. You're making your rounds. Yeah. You grab your passport. You're like, let's go to the Island. You go to this team, you sign a decent contract. Again, this team is earmarked for contention. Can you tell going into the training camp, like, okay, this team, this could be a potential contender. You got Tavares, Bailey, Anders Lee. You got all these good players of Brock Nelson. Can you tell right away, like, okay, we got something going on here? Uh, yeah. Yeah. Like, I I really like the group there. That's one of the, the reasons I chose to sign there was um, I wanted a chance to, to win. And I looked at that group and um, as a group that had – a lot of different pieces that that could be you know provide a, a good good uh, structure going forward to have a good team for a, for a while and um yeah i think definitely we we had a good group and they still do right a lot of those guys which things didn't go very well my first couple of years there but you could tell they had the right guys um and, and i think you you've probably seen over the course of your career too like you, you know coaches and different things run the course and sometimes they just need a different message and a different person to come in and, and create a, a maybe a new path. And, uh, you know, I think that was kind of, that was Lou and Barry came in and, and were able to do that. And um, everyone around was surprised that about the success that we, you know, that that group had. Um, but I don't think anyone in that room was, was surprised because they, they knew the people and, and the, the character in that room and, and really the talent, like, a guy like Brock Nelson, who people don't talk about a whole lot, is is a special player in my mind, and someone who's who impacts yeah. the games at both end of the ice and a big game player. And um, people people don't talk about him nearly enough. So you you again, you're on the move again. You've had a, a slew of injuries. Mm-hmm. You've been in another lineup. You, you said earlier you went down to the minors. You could trade to Arizona this offseason. Was that, again, I don't want to beat a dead horse. Did you know something was going to happen? Did you talk to Lou? Did he let you know we were shopping you? Yeah, I mean, we like I knew the past couple of years that I wasn't in their plans. So, um, you know, was trying to figure out a way to, to get me to a place that um, that have the opportunity to, to play again and then really – show that I can still play. So that I'm, I'm excited, man. I, I, yeah, I, I knew it was coming. Lou was, was great. One thing about Lou is very open and honest about what's going on and communicates really well. So, um, 
I, I kind of knew the whole way that we were trying to, to get it done and, and uh, I was excited to, to get a fresh start. It's definitely a fresh start because I think Arizona treated every player last year <laughs> who, who got any points for them. So you just get rid of Dvorak. They get rid of Ekman Larson. You get rid of Connor Garland. You get rid of everybody. They bring you in. What do you say to the guys in the locker room? Half of them, you don't even know who they are probably. It, it's just like uh, – it's a it's a brand new team. You're they're going to be looking at you. Training camp starts in a week and a half. What does an Andrew Ladd say going in there to get to to lead this team? Oh man, I think I think it's twofold, right? Like I think you're trying to get to know. Anytime you go into a new group, you're trying to get to know the guys um, to see what what makes them tick. And luckily for for me, there's there's about eight to ten new guys coming in too. Uh, a lot of veteran guys that have something to prove, whether that's, um, you know, the, the Louis Erickson's and, and um, Jay Beagles and Roussel's from Vancouver, or, uh, Anton Strahlman's coming in from Florida, you know, the um, ghost from, from Philly. So you have guys that um, maybe people have written off. So we can rally around that a little bit. And I know those guys are hungry to, to, to play and compete in their pros. And, um, you know, there's, there's value in having that in the lineup each and every night. So then it's, it's like, what, what kind of influence can you have on that younger group? Um, for me, it's, it's showing, like I said, the experience I have in the past in terms of like how you practice, how you prepare the details you put in day in and day out. I think those are the things that you can pass along to the younger generation, the young kids um, moving forward. Um, and then just be open, man. I, it's, 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 it's a tough league to, to be in at a young age and have, you know, especially if you're one of the go-to guys. So just having guys to, to have as a soundboard and, and communicate with kind of as an, an extension of, of support for, for anything that they're going through and, and then setting an expectation, right? That's as an organization, I think that's, that's where they want to go here in terms of setting expectation of how, how you show up and how you work every day. Um, and to me, that's where, where that shift will start in terms of what they want to build towards. You're darn right. It's a tough league. You've been in it for 15 years and how healthy are you? If like, how are you, how's the body feeling? The body feels great. So like I've had the good thing about not playing the last or not playing a whole lot. I played 20 someone games in the minors um, before COVID hit and then came up at the end of that year, played a couple games in Long Island and then played one game in the, in the bubble. Um, but I've had a lot of time to like really fix a lot of the things I need to fix and a lot of the wear and tear that I had over the first 13 or 14 years of my career. Um, you know, I've, I've had, I, I think that's a lot of, a lot of times the trouble that athletes have is you have a short window in the off season to really make changes to your body and how you move and stuff like that. So I've had, had the time to, to do that. And I think I've used that, that time well, and been intentional in terms of how I've tried to, use that time. So, um, I feel good. I'm excited. Um, so I'm, I'm ready to roll, man. What's well, if, if you do, and I expect you to get to a thousand games this season, how gratifying is that going to be just based off of the road you've taken the last few years, how tough it was to get to the NHL. Is that going to be a special milestone if you do get to hit that? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And especially the last couple of years, you know, the last couple of years have been really tough. I, I, like this past year, I skated by myself for four months, three months, mm-hmm. literally every day. Just trying and that's to stay. impossible to do. <laughs> it, 
it is, it, it's, it's hard to do. So I, I know what I've been through kind of like mentally the last couple of years and, and um, really had to kind of frame, reframe how I was processing things. And, and like I said, try to use that time to, to my advantage in terms of getting healthy and working on my game. So I've, I've, I've tried to do that. And so I think getting to that mark would be that much more gratifying um, knowing that, you know, I've, I've stuck with it and, and I, you know, that was kind of one of the, one of the goals of mine was to, to get to that point and to reestablish the fact that I can play and, and get back after having those, those two knee injuries back to back and, and really, um, you know, show that all the work that I put into was, was worth it. Well, listen, this was a pleasure, Andrew. My goodness. Like unbelievable. Right? I, I want to say this. I have one critique. Yeah. I think, I think you, you made a mistake by going to Calgary. You should have went to Bemidji state, but you, you're such, such a smart guy. You could have got a degree. It would have changed your whole life. Could have worked out, man. But I don't There's know if I'd be wearing, time. I don't know if I'd be wearing the sweatshirt right now. So that's know. true. You wouldn't be having <laughs> It'd be a Carhartt sweatshirt. That's for sure. <laughs> Touche. I love it. All right, man. Well, thank you. We've, we've tied you up for an hour. You took a cough break, but it was all, all, all the pleasure is on my side of the table. Right here. Coining right, the man. office, but yeah. Thank you so much for joining us. Good luck this year, man. We will hopefully we can have you on and you guys are surprising everybody. Yeah, that's uh, that's our hope. So I appreciate appreciate having me, man. This is this was fun. Good luck. Keep it keep it rolling. You're just moving up the charts, right? I know we're killing it. We're the number one in the world. You know that. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, Andrew Ladd, everybody. Thank you for listening. We appreciate it. And Andrew, have a good season, man. Cheers. Thanks for listening to Dropping the Gloves with John Scott, a member of the Nation Network of Podcasts. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts from to never miss an episode. Delivered by DoorDash.